All right, as we've mentioned, uh, we are blessed and honored to have Darren Peachy with us this morning, who is our conference pastor. Maybe he'll explain a little bit about what that is to us. But, uh, Good? All right. <laughs> but I just want to pray for Darren this morning, and then we'll turn it over to him. So, Darren. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come to you right now. Lord, we just thank you so much for this uh, time that we had to worship, Lord. Lord, just to go into your presence, Father, and Lord, to just understand what it means to just be called a child of yours. And Father God, this morning, Lord, we just uh, we lift up our brother Darren to you, Father Lord, as he brings the message to you, Lord. We just thank you, first off, for your word, and Lord, just how it guides and convicts us, Father and Lord. Lord, we just pray, Father, this morning that you would just allow your word to just uh, flow through Darren. And we'll just empty him of himself and fill him with your spirit, Father God. Lord, we just pray, God, that you would just allow all of us to have open ears and open hearts to receive what you have for us through him. And we just thank you and for his, uh, thank you for the work that you're doing through Darren. Lord, we just thank you and love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Gosh. Morning, church. One of my <clears throat> favorite uh, parts of serving as conference pastor is I get almost on a weekly basis, I get to participate in a different piece of the bride. And uh, wow, just to hear you proclaim good news and proclaim your trust this morning was, was wonderful. You did it together as a body, and you all do know you're the bride, right? Yeah? You can talk back to me in a nice way. <laughs> yeah, you're the bride of Christ. And as Amanda mentioned, we were staying with, with Kevin and Amanda, and obviously we talked about Kai and Micah's wedding that happened in July, Right? And I don't know about in southern Indiana, but back in Pennsylvania, I just actually officiated a wedding last weekend. The, the, the bride shows up, if the wedding's at, I don't know, what time was your wedding, Kaya? Four, four o'clock, all right. So I'm guessing, at least if that was in Pennsylvania, the bride would have showed up with her entourage of people about eight o'clock in the morning, if not earlier. And the groom shows up at 3 o'clock. But you know what? We laugh, but there's a reason for that. And that's because the bride wants everything to be perfect when she walks down the aisle to meet her groom. And she actually, she actually has mirrors around and, you know, everything's about the hair and the nails and the toes and like and she she likes invites people that's that's part of the the wedding party's responsibility is to like point out things that aren't quite perfect but it, it's not a it's not a vain thing it's like the bride wants everything to be just right when she walks down the aisle to meet her groom and and i keep getting this picture of the church and like what what would it be like church if we really understood that we're the bride and we know that we're going to walk down the aisle and meet Jesus someday, how would that change 
um, how we view all these things that continue to shape us and how the Word shapes us and our brothers and sisters, how we shape each other and how the Spirit transforms us. And like, we don't really like the pain and the friction of that sometimes. But what if we would begin to view all those things that happen in life that continually transform us into the likeness and image of God with ever-increasing glory, as it says in 2 Corinthians 3? What if we would view all those things as it's simply preparing us to walk down the aisle and meet Jesus? How would that change, you know, when there's something in the Word that doesn't quite you know, it rubs us the wrong way, or a brother or sister kind of says, hey, I've been, I've been noticing, and they share a word of encouragement or even rebuke. What if we could just really begin to see ourselves as the bride of Christ, and we're being made ready to walk down the aisle and meet Jesus? As I think about that, it, it changes how I begin to respond and think when, when, uh, when I'm feeling a little chastised by, by the Lord or the Word or a brother or sister, or just the circumstances of life that shape us. But anyway, you're a beautiful bride, and I just, that was completely free, that part of it. Um, but it, it's wonderful to see you being transformed together and being made ready to meet Jesus. Because we know we're going to meet Jesus, right? Yeah. I do want to introduce my wife, Karen, who's with me this weekend. And we often, we often travel together. We, we enjoy doing life together. We can, we can sit in the car for hours with nothing playing, and we don't even talk to each other. We just enjoy being in each other's presence. I don't know, I kind of like, imagine that that's a little bit the way Jesus is with us too. He just enjoys when we're in his presence. It doesn't have to be a lot of interaction. But, so anyway, it's great to have Karen with me. And we live in Pennsylvania, although we're kind of based out of Ohio. We have two children and six grandchildren. And uh, what else should you know about us? We love Jesus. We like to head to the Rocky Mountains every once in a while just to go play and explore out there. On, on a rare occasion, chase an elk around, things like that. Um, was a dairy farmer for many years. Seems pretty uh, like there's lots of agriculture in this area, so maybe some of you can relate to that. But as, as conference pastor of Rosedale Network of Churches, I do want to bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters across the country who are also part of the Rosedale Network of Churches. It's a network of churches that is commissioned or has a mission to mature and multiply churches around the world. In other words, to have a disciple-making, Bible-believing, and Jesus-focused uh, body of believers in every neighborhood in the world. Sounds like a big mission, doesn't it? But we get to play a piece in that, and, and you get to be a, a part of whatever God has for us and all of that. And that's going to require some things of us. It's going to require us to take some risk. How many of you like taking risk? 
We've got a couple people. I, I've seen some really cool businesses around here. I know some of you like taking risk. Um, but it's going to require us to risk with, with new leaders, um, young leaders. It's going to require some of us to be sent out. It's going to require being focused on discipling. This is going to sound like a bummer, but it's going to might require some of us to suffer. At times, that's a really popular thing these days, right? We like to suffer. But it's going to require all of us, all of us, not just, it's Pastor Appreciation Month, not just Kevin and, and uh, Josh and Eric, but it's going to require all of us to be Jesus here in this community or wherever God sends us. I never cease to be amazed, and we sang it this morning, how Jesus taught his disciples to pray that the Father's will would be done and that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. Like, can you even imagine that? That the Father's will would be done and his kingdom would come on earth? Like, where we're standing on this terra firm, where we're standing as it is in heaven. And I'm just crazy enough to believe that if Jesus taught his disciples to pray that way, it might just be a possibility. But if it's going to be a possibility, it's going to come through the church, the bride. Have you ever stopped to think that Jesus taught his disciples to pray that his kingdom would come on the earth? And, and then he released them to go do the things that, that they did. Well, <clears throat> that was your second free one there. I trust that, that you are uh, grateful and thankful this morning. Thankful that, thankful that Jesus paid the price on the cross to redeem people. And that you, his church, he continues to provide for. I mean, I, I just keep thinking about the things we sang and declared together this morning. We declared the gospel. We declared good news. We declared that, that God is going to be our protector. He's going to be our power source. It's all him. I trust that you're thankful. I'm thankful that Jesus continues to pour his spirit out on the church and where the Spirit is, the fruits of the Spirit begin to manifest, and those begin to bring the kingdom. I hope we're grateful that God continues to call people, and people continue to answer the call to serve the church in specific ways. So for the next several minutes, I'd like to share a few thoughts on the purpose of the church and how we as Jesus followers all have opportunity to participate in the Father's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. And I invite you to, to take your Bibles this morning, if you have them, or your devices, and turn to Luke chapter 10. I'm going to do a really short exploration, I guess, of this very familiar story that Jesus told, and just kind of see what we can learn from this story about the purpose of the church and again, I want to remind you, this is not a comprehensive look. It's just going to be kind of real quick. 
So in this first section of verses in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 29, I'm going to ask you all to help me a little bit. And if you want to put that first verse up there, verse 25, that'd be great. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to narrate, and I, I would like if you all would be play the part of the expert in the law, the, the really smart guy, and like I know you have good pastors, and I know they teach you well, and so I know that you know this stuff, um, you know the Word, so I think you can help me. And um, I'm just going to start to narrate this, and I think you're going to know exactly when to say what's on the screen or what's in your Bible. So beginning at verse 25, it says, On one occasion, just on an average day, nothing special about this day, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, and this is what he said. All right, come on, we can do better than that. Who, who are you talking to here? We're talking to Jesus, and we want to know what it takes to live. So let, let's try this again with a little bit more passion. <laughs> All right, so on one occasion, on an ordinary day, Jesus is hanging out with the people. On one occasion, an expert in the law, a smart guy, stood up to test Jesus, and he said, Now you're getting the hang of it. Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered. Okay, you guys did great. Because I imagine the smart guy kind of saying this proudly, like, I got this. I, I know what, I know the deal. Jesus answered. Like, wouldn't this be great to be the smart guy and Jesus says to you, you've answered correctly? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Jesus said in verse 28, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. The smart guy wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, Can you, can you say that kind of defensively, like, well, who's my neighbor? Let's try it. That's pretty good. Well, the smart guy knew the Scripture, and he knew the law, and it appears that he lived by it. It seems like a pretty good way to live, and yet his, his knowledge of the law and the need to love God with his whole being and love your neighbor as yourself, brings out this, this thing in him. It actually brings out this thing in us, this need to justify. Living by, the, living by the law always carries with it a fear of not living well enough. It, it can create an uneasiness, which causes us the need to justify our, our life and our living, and we often do that by comparing to someone else not to Jesus. And so this, this man tries to justify himself. He hasn't, he hasn't realized that trusting in the shed blood of Jesus and his resurrection in the perfect love of Jesus cast out the fear of not being good enough. I imagine that 
that when Jesus agreed with the smart guy's assessment of the law, that he, could, that he should just do it and live, in other words, just love God and love people and live, he, he began to think of someone that maybe he hadn't loved well enough, or he knew of someone in the crowd who had experienced anything but love from him, or he knew that his motives of doing good weren't always what they should be, and so he had to justify himself. He had to be righteous himself, to be innocent himself, and brothers and sisters, that's a really heavy burden to carry. In fact, it's an impossible burden to carry. And so he tries to find some wiggle room by asking, what? Yeah, you got it over here. You tell everyone else. How about it? What did he ask? Yeah, who's my neighbor? We got a young man over here who's got it down. Well, young man, I have to to tell you something. I'm going to go to the end of the story. You know, there's people in this room. What's your name? What is it? I'm sorry. Boone? All right, Boone. There's people in this room. I don't know if they'll admit it, but they, when they get a book, they'll read the last chapter. They'll read the end of the story because they can't wait to find out what happens. And then they'll go back and read the book. Did you know there's people like that? You didn't. There's people in here like that, right? Yeah, I knew there was. So we're going to go to the end of the story, and uh, verse 36, we got that, I think I have that on the slide, next slide. Verse 36 says, Jesus, Jesus said after the story, which we haven't even read yet, he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? We go to that next slide. Did you notice what happened here? Jesus flips the question. The question is not now, who is my neighbor? Jesus flips the question and he says, the question is now, am I a neighbor? There's a big difference. No longer can we justify that a certain kind of person is not my neighbor. Because Jesus has flipped the question And the question is not, who is my neighbor, as the the guy who was trying to justify himself said. Jesus says, no, the question is, am I a neighbor? All right, so let's read the story, beginning in verse 30, since we actually looked at the end of the story. In reply to to this whole conversation between Jesus and the smart guy, Jesus tells a story. He says, a man was coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. And they stripped him of his clothes, and they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, and pouring on oil and wine, and then put the man on his donkey, and took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, 
And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So here we have a man who was on a journey, on a pilgrimage. And he was left completely exposed. He had no covering of any kind. He was beaten and dying. He was left for dead, and his, his life and his breath were rapidly leaving him. Who did this to him? Who did it to him? What's the scripture say? Robbers did it to him. Yeah. The robbers are the ones who beat him and left, for de- left him for dead. What do robbers do? They try to steal. They try to kill and destroy. They take life. They invoke fear and distrust. Again, I think you have good pastors here. You know this. But who's the one who tries to kill and steal and destroy? Satan. As I, I've been trying to look at this, this story that Jesus told through some fresh eyes, I'm like, ah, oh, I think maybe, maybe the robbers are representing Satan, the devil, because he's the one who tries to kill and steal and destroy. And then we have the, the priest and Levites. They came by and they, they see this guy laying in the ditch, almost dead. They, they saw him. It says they saw him. They noticed him. But they went by. They went on. The law couldn't fix what had already happened. The law says that, that someone has been treated badly. The law says that something terrible has happened. The law says that someone has been beaten and robbed and left for dead. Laws have been broken. Good things, or not good things, have happened, but the law can't provide the mercy needed to bring hope and life to the situation. The law points out what has already happened. And so the priest and the Levite, I don't even know that they had a choice but to just pass by because if they represent the law, they couldn't fix the situation. They couldn't bring healing to the man. Love and action was the only solution or the beaten man was going to die. So the Samaritan, a person despised by the Jews, went to, came to where the man was and took care of him. Can you think of a, another person who was despised that, that came to and came to the hurting and the broken and the dying? Can you think of someone like that? Who might that be? Jesus. Could could it be that Jesus was talking about himself as he talked about the Samaritan? The prophet Isaiah had this to say about Jesus, the suffering servant. He was despised and rejected, and he took up our infirmities, and he carried our sorrows. We were uh, up at Odin the other day, 
and there's a little gift shop beside the Odin Locker, and they were getting ready for Christmas. What, what do we celebrate at Christmas? We celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. He came to us. The Samaritan, the, the one who was despised, came to the man who was dying and lying in the ditch. Verse 36 and verse 37 say, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. As I said earlier, I'm not even going to begin to try and cover everything in the story that Jesus told, but allow me to point out a couple things that have caught my attention. The good news is simply that Jesus came to us in love. When we were helpless, when we were vulnerable, when we were stripped bare, when we were exposed, when we were beaten and broken and couldn't walk and left for dead in our sin, Jesus came to us and he picked us up and he carried us and he paid the price for our healing. What the law was helpless to do passed us by, Jesus did by coming to us, identifying with us and and paying our debt on the cross. It's love and action. But there's another part of this story that we haven't talked about yet, another person who's a big part of this story. And who might that be? The innkeeper. The innkeeper. The good Samaritan brought the dying man to the innkeeper. See, the Samaritan, if we look back, paid the price for the man's healing. He asked the innkeeper to take care of the man. The two silver coins were enough for months of care. This was not going to be a quick fix. The good Samaritan indicated that he knew it was going to be a process by promising that he would be back at some point and then even then take care of any uncovered expenses. The innkeeper was not a, a doctor. Innkeepers are people who provide hospitality, and the Greek word for, for hospitality is phlenoxenia. That means a love for strangers. Think about what this innkeeper would have experienced in caring for this man who was completely shamefully exposed and could not walk. He was beaten down, he was bruised, and he was bloody. Probably couldn't even feed himself. Probably didn't even know who he was and maybe couldn't remember his own name. And on top of all that, he was a stranger to the innkeeper. I imagine the innkeeper trying to, to feed this man little bits of food, and I'm pretty sure it was probably like chicken soup or something. And changing bloody bandages, soiled sheets. This was long before the the days of catheters and latex gloves, and it was intimate, and it was vulnerable, and it was messy. He didn't even know this man's name, but yet there's really something significant. The price had already been paid for the man's healing. Remember? The Samaritan had paid already for the man's healing. 
The beautiful truth, the joy about keeping in is, is that it's the innkeeper who, who saw the broken man sit up for the, in bed for the first time. It was the innkeeper who, who heard him find his voice again and remember his identity and saw him take his first steps and regain, grain, regain strength and dignity and eventually walk out the door down the road on continuing on his pilgrimage and now looking for other people who may be lying in the ditch, just as he had been. I like to think that, that just maybe the innkeeper, the keeper of the inn, is representative of the church. Jesus paid the price for the healing and for the new life, and then the love of Christ, living in those who have already been rescued and brought back to life, the church begins to get intimate and messy and caring and loving and having mercy and being a neighbor. Does that make sense? I'm always trying to look for the gospel in everything in the scriptures, and I'm like, ah, Jesus is the one who paid the price, and if, if that's the case, then the innkeeper, maybe Jesus was talking about the church. Sometimes it's a stranger. Sometimes it's someone in her own family who the thief, the robber, has stolen from and tried to kill and destroy. See, who needs the care isn't that important. Because remember, the question is not, who is my neighbor? The question that Jesus asked is, am I a neighbor? Such a difference. One of my observations over the years, and actually last night we were at a community worship service and got to hear some, just some wonderful testimonies. But one of my observations over the years has been that, that most of us, we love when somebody comes up and gets the mic and they share their testimony of how God has just brought them from the ditch, from being shamefully exposed and have left for dead we love hearing those stories of, of redemption. But, but the truth of the matter is far fewer of us are willing to be that person who walks with them, who does the work of the innkeeper, who gets vulnerable and messy, and sometimes you see progress and sometimes you don't. In this little story that Jesus told, we, we see a model for the church. Jesus saw, he took notice of the need, and he came. Like I said, Emmanuel, God with us. And he cared, and he paid the price, and he invited others, the innkeeper, to be a part of the process. In a group this size, some of you are right in the middle of keeping in with someone right now, today. You, you know theologically that the price has been paid by Jesus for healing and for new life, and yet Jesus has placed someone in your life to do life with, to neighbor, and it's hard and it's messy and it's tiring and even painful. There's a lot of days it just doesn't seem like there's any progress. But as we keep in, as we, as we love God and our neighbor as ourselves. We will begin living the kingdom of God and entering into eternal life right now. 
the kingdom of heaven will come on earth. Churches, you continue at Providence Mennonite Church to build a relational community through connecting and becoming intimate and vulnerable and involved with each other. Your neighbors, let's remember that Jesus already paid the price, and we are simply to be neighbors, faithfully, lovingly, living life alongside each other together. I don't know if your church website's up to date, but I I got on your church website last week, and this is what I found for the mission of Providence Mennonite Church. The mission of this congregation is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the unsaved, those left lying for dead, left for dead, lying in the ditch, shamefully exposed, no covering, but also to promote the spiritual growth of its members by providing opportunities for worship, instruction, and nurture. That sounds kind of like an innkeeper, right? Fellowship. Christian witnessing, and service. I don't know if I should ask this. How many of you knew that was the mission of Providence Mennonite Church that's on your website? Awesome. I'm seeing some hands. That's no small mission, church. That's no small mission. It's a mission that matters desperately to the unsaved, for those lying in the ditch. And your mission speaks to the importance of actively participating in the ongoing health of those that Jesus has already redeemed and brought back to life. Your mission has, a congregation has an eternal impact for the kingdom of Jesus and the people that he has paid the price to redeem. Put this next slide up there. This is kind of a picture of, it takes many different people with a variety of gifts to keep in, to keep the church functioning in a healthy manner, people to provide leadership, people to teach. I know you have teachers because you're all smart people. You knew what to say at the right time, especially Boone over there. It requires people to, to serve in all kinds of ways. Requires people to cook and clean. I noticed this morning the floor was clean. Just magically happens, doesn't it? Who sweeps the floor? Somebody does. She's on vacation. Next week it'll be dirty. Just give her a break. It requires people who know how to empathize with someone, to sit and listen. Requires people who dream about how the inn can be better and function better, have a bigger impact. It requires everyone in the body of Christ using their gifts to make the inn function. So when that the, the people that Jesus has rescued out of the ditch come in among you, Together with all those gifts, you can care for them and nurture them, invite them to be part of your community. 
takes all kinds of people serving in the church. Remember, there's one other thing that, that the Good Samaritan said. He said, I'm going to come back. Jesus is coming back. Will he find us being a neighbor? Will he find us being a neighbor? Jesus has blessed his church. He's released his church. He's poured out his spirit on the church to do the very things we've talked about. And I want to, along with Jesus, just bless you as Providence Mennonite Church to watch, to keep your eyes open for the people who are lying in the ditch in your community, left for dead. They don't even know who they are. I also want to bless you to continue to nurture each other. And teach and admonish and, and be prepared as the entire bride to walk down the aisle and meet Jesus. I was thinking about whether I should give an invitation this morning. I think I will, but I'll just ask you to think about it where you're sitting. Be, be two-part. One is, is Jesus saying to you this morning, you know, my heart's got a little bit hard and calloused towards the hurting and the broken. Towards those people that are lying in the ditch and don't know who they are. That are dying. And if, if that's you this morning, I'd just say, just ask Jesus simply to soften your heart. Open your eyes. Ask him to give you his eyes so that you can see people as he sees people. And the other part this morning would be maybe you are that person who's still lying in the ditch. And you can't quite trust that the Good Samaritan, that Jesus has already paid the price for your healing. And you, you want to trust that, and you're just, it's a struggle. Ask him to give you trust that his death on the cross and that his shed blood and that his righteousness and his resurrection, that his intercession for you right now is enough. Allow him to pick you up, to carry your sorrows. He already paid the price. The question is, will we trust him? Will we trust him? Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your righteousness that, that came from heaven. And that you've rescued us. And you desire to rescue everyone. 
Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who's, who's that person who feels like they've just been lying in the ditch and they don't know their identity and they've, they feel shamefully exposed and no covering and they don't even know their name, where they belong and where they fit in, Lord, I pray that they would reach their hand up as you reach yours down and allow you to embrace them and, and carry them into the church, into the inn. Lord, I pray for those of us who are already part of the inn, Lord, that we would, we would be reminded this morning that you've already paid the price and we, you've invited us and you've charged us to, to care for those around us who desperately need your love and your mercy. Lord, give us soft hearts. Give us eyes to see people as you see people. And in all that, you will begin to receive glory and your kingdom will begin to come on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.